All right, John chapter 14. We have made it through the book of Philippians. Uh, here in a little while, we are going to be uh, delving into 1 John, but we need to do a little bit of prep work for that. Uh, so we're going to be in John chapter 14, and a uh, little bit of 14, a little bit of 15 here. Uh, we're going, and uh, I've, uh, I don't know if, if you'll remember, I'm not sure how I feel about this, if you tell me you, you do remember or don't remember that I preached this uh, a year ago, January, um, but uh, because of the, uh, the content, I think we need to go over it again in light of us coming up on First John. Uh, so we're calling it the Mysterious Love Connection. Uh, now, the uh, life is full of mysteries. We know that. Mysteries are things that we haven't figured out yet. Uh, you know, if you remember as a kid, one of my favorite cartoons was Scooby-Doo. They always had some mystery. And, uh, you know, looking back now as an adult on Scooby-Doo, uh, what I was learning, didn't realize I was learning, is that, you know, most, most monsters are just, you know, people <laughs> dressed up, right, in disguise. Kind of weird. Now they uh, have a computerized version of the game Clue. Who who played Clue as a kid? All right. All right. Yeah. Have have some of that. That deductive reasoning game where you know Colonel Mustard is still whacking somebody in some room with a spatula or something. You know that's going on still. Uh, you know there are mysteries that that you know we will never figure out, never understand. And gentlemen, I think you'll agree with me. Women's intuition. Yeah, we'll, we'll never get a grip on that. We don't know how it works. Why washing the car uh, makes it rain? No idea. Why two boats can be anchored up practically side by side in the same spot using the same bait, the same techniques, and only one boat will catch fish? No idea why it is the way it is. But Now, the Word of God has its share of mysteries also. Uh, like just, just how powerful does God have to be to speak matter into existence, and then the volume of matter that exists in our universe. How much power does that take? Or why didn't a a talking snake send up red flags to Eve? I I don't know. Why would God choose a people, uh, have that people reject him, and then choose us Gentiles for the church age? Just, just just, a mystery. Then there's the great fish in Jonah feeding the 5,000 men. Jesus raising himself from the dead. You know, the, 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 these are mysteries that, that, you know, maybe when we get to heaven, uh, the Lord will give us the answer to these things. I don't, I don't know for sure. But one mystery, I think, is a little overrated. Uh, maybe overcomplicated is a better word. Uh, especially since the text here and the context tells us exactly what it is. Uh, in other words, a somewhat careful study is going to solve this particular mystery for us. It'll remove the mystique. It'll set in concrete. It'll, it'll make it measurable for us. And the mystery we're talking about is exactly what does it mean to abide in Christ? Right? Uh, what does that mean? How does that look? Many writers and scholars and theologians force abiding in Christ into something that is intangible, that is uh, uh, ethereal, uh, into the realm of uh, almost spiritual mysticism, away from objective truth and practice. Uh, Andrew Murray, who great, great fella from, from, from years gone by, I, I, I think over-spiritualizes what it means to abide in Christ. Now, the context does... Uh, really does the work of explaining to us what abiding in Christ is. 
And, and we want to put it together in such a way that, that we leave here today with this logical, uh, doable definition of what it means to abide in Christ. We will need this when we get to 1 John in a couple of weeks. Uh, I, I want us to see kind of, you know, in, in the process, the connection between abiding in Christ, uh, loving and doing. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to kind of start in the middle, then we're going to work back, and then we're going to come back to the middle, and we're going to work forward. That's just the best way, I think, to explain this. So uh, let me tell you the premise. Let me tell you where we're headed ahead of time. And that is that abiding in Christ is doing what he commands. Okay? Abiding in Christ is doing what he commands, and the fruit that is bore is the product of our obedience. So that's where we're headed, just, just so you know. So let's start in the middle, kind of the pinnacle, work our way kind of to and fro uh, as, as we get here. So let's look at, we'll call it clue number one. The ultimate desired result here is God to be glorified. In chapter 15, uh, look at verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Now, at this point, whatever the fruit is, the Father is not properly glorified without us producing this. Uh, we're not disciples if we're not producing this fruit, whatever this fruit is. Now look at uh, chapter 15, look at verse 1. Let's read 1, 1 to 7. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. That word purge is, is where we get the word prune. Okay, if you want a fruit tree to produce, you prune it. Now, that pruning looks brutal and painful and harsh, but it's what causes the tree to produce fruit. Look at verse 3. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing." If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is uh, withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Now here, it makes it very clear that the only way to bear fruit, the only way for us as believers to glorify the Father, is to be abiding in Christ. And Jesus uses the metaphor uh, of, of, of him, the vine, the branch is you, the caretaker, the husbandman, that's God the Father. Uh, he makes it intensely clear that we must abide in order to produce. Right? We can't produce fruit unless we are plugged into the vine. This means that there's no glorification of the Father unless we're abiding in Christ. He makes it plain and goes so far as to say that unless we abide we can produce nothing, no fruit at all. Verse 5, the nothing there in verse 5, you can do nothing, is in the context of bearing fruit. And verse 7 explains to us, after reminding us what happens to fruitless branches, uh, that we will um, abide, once, once we are abiding, we can ask whatever we want, and it'll be done for us. Now, does that mean that if I abide in Christ, I can get a new car? If I abide in Christ, do I get the perfect home? 
If I abide in Christ, do I avoid all troubles in my Christian life? No. The context of ask what ye will is that of abiding and bearing fruit. Ask what ye will concerning bearing fruit. And provided that you're abiding in Christ, it'll be done. See, God's not a God of blank checks here. He's, he's very specific. And that raises the bar just a little bit. Abiding and bearing fruit just became much more important because we can't glorify God without them. Now let's look at uh, what we call clue number two. Let's go to chapter 14 and look at verse 15. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Very plain, very simple. If you love me, keep my commandments. And here we, be, we begin to see connection to, to abiding in Christ, uh, being related to what we do. We get our first hint of what the abiding in Christ is. Now, the if is what's called a second-class conditional clause. Now, the, now, why that's important is this. It means that it may or may not be true at the time, but the outlook is promising. If you love me, and you probably will, okay, then you keep my commandments. It's not like uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, where uh, if ye then be risen with Christ, that's the first class, that since you've been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Here, the outcome is an, it's a little in question, but it has a very positive outlook to it. Okay? Uh, now, it's, it's, it's like this because from this perspective, the disciples uh, don't quite know the verdict yet. They have, their, their actions haven't taken place yet, so, so the verdict's kind of still out. Uh, but he's saying, if you love me, then do something. Not if you love me, feel something. Not if you love me, think something, but do something. Right? If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus says. And this is a major theme throughout this passage. We've read chapter 14, verse 15, drop down to 1421. It says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself unto him. Drop down to verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and he will come unto him and make our abode with him. One more, verse 24. He that loveth me not uh, keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. Uh, it's very clear what's expected here. Over in chapter 15, look at verse 10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Verse 12, chapter 15, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Drop down to verse 14. It says, ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. And the last one, verse 17, these things I command you, that ye love one another. Love is expressed by what we do, not by what we say, not by what we feel, not by what we think. Love is a very concrete action. It's not an intangible concept. There is an unwavering connection between loving Jesus and doing what he says do. So much so that, 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 that not doing what Jesus says practically means you don't love him. So I love Jesus. 
Well, do you do what he commands? Well, no. Then no, sorry, you don't love him. Chapter 14, verse 21 tells us that keeping Christ's commandments is loving him. It is how we demonstrate our love for him. That's very concrete, measurable. It's predictable. It's doable. There's, there's no mystery here. We don't need to call the mystery wagon with Scooby-Doo to try to figure this out. <clears throat> obedience is proof and obedience is confirmation of your love for Jesus. Mm-hmm. So don't, 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 don't say it if you don't do it, right? The keeper of the commands will have Jesus manifested to him. Look at verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 22 and 23 again. 22, this is Judas, uh, not Iscariot. Okay? Uh, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world. And Jesus answered and said unto him, uh, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. See, loving Jesus means that we keep his words. Those who keep his words will experience the presence of the Son and the presence of the Father. So in other words, Jesus is manifested to us through our obedience to him. Now that, that's, I like that. We, we see, we, we comprehend Jesus as we do his will. That's why the world doesn't see him. They don't obey him. We obey him. We see him. We, we see him work. That's what Judas didn't understand. How will we see them and the world not see? Well, it's because we obey and they don't. We've got another clue, number three. Look at chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. It says, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things uh, and, 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 and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, we become then in our obedience to Christ, in, in demonstrating our love for Christ through our obedience, we become uh, traffickers, so to speak, in truth when we keep his commandments. Jesus spoke these things while he was with them. He spoke the, the loving and the keeping. He spoke the, the keeping and the doing, and, and, and he spoke the doing and the seeing. We see that the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, is our teacher. He teaches us truth. That's Jesus' words and sayings. And the all things in verse 26 is connected to these things up in verse 25, that the Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us of all the things that Jesus has said as long as we know them because we've read them. Uh, We mentioned in Sunday school that the Holy Spirit doesn't just dump God's word into our head. We've got to read it. We've got to know it. We've got to study it. By the indwelling Holy Spirit, we we transport or or we traffic in. We, We display the truth of what Jesus has said. And it's by our obedience that we demonstrate the truth. We become purveyors of truth. 
by our obedience to his word. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside and, 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 and conveys unto us the truth as we obey, as we have read, as we have learned. And, and none of this happens without the Holy Spirit of God. He makes doing Jesus' commands possible. Without him, we could not and would not obey. Now we get to clue number four, and, and we're going to need some definitions. We've got to define a few things here. We need to define what love means, uh, what the commands are, the words saying, the things spoken of. We need to, to define what abiding means and then what uh, fruit is. We'll let, let, let the scripture be our dictionary here. We um, have to be careful so we don't misread anything. But the word love used all through chapter 14 and 15 is that agape love. It's, it's the godly love. It's the sacrificial love. It's the love that is love because the love er finds the love e valuable. See, if you find me valuable, Jesus says, if you find me worthy of the effort, if you see value and worth in me, then keep my commandments. If you find in me value and worth, then do what I say. It's a loving for the benefit of the object because there is value assigned to it by the one doing the loving. Just like marriage works best when there's this this kind of love. You value your spouse, uh, so you, know, you value them above everything but the Lord. And, and, and you know, because of that, you're willing to sacrifice yourself for them. Okay, that's, that's the love. Now, the commands, it, this is what we do. It's what he says do, whatever form they take, whether it's spoken or written. It's whatever Jesus has told us to do. Very simple. That's what the commands are. Abiding we know that loving Jesus means that we do his will. Okay, loving is doing. In chapter 15, verses 9 and 10, this, this, this tells us exactly what abiding is. Look at verse 9. As the Father hath, hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. All right, so verse, um, verses 9 and 10 here, it, it, it defines for us. We are to continue abiding in Jesus, verse 9. We do that by keeping his commandments, verse 10. If ye keep, ye shall abide. There's the absolute, the concrete, the solid, the predictable. Uh, it's how you abide in Christ. There's, all the mystery is gone now. Uh, it, is, it is obedience motivated from love. That's how you abide in Christ. Uh, we abide in Christ by obeying him because we love him. There's no hocus pocus. It's obedience born out of our love. We abide by keeping his commandments. We abide in Christ by doing his words. And see, we can, we can know this, right? We, we can do these little self-checks. Am I abiding in Christ? All right, let me check. Am I obeying him because I love him? Yes, then I'm abiding in Christ. Am I obeying him because I'm, am, am I disobeying him? All right, then, then no, I'm not abiding in Christ. See, it's not mystical, hocus-pocus, only the super spiritual, boy, I wish I could, kind of non-attainable spiritual carrot that God is hanging out in front of us trying to get us to get. No, if you want to abide in Christ, then do what Jesus says because you love him. It couldn't be any more simple. 
Right? That's abiding in Christ. You want to abide in Christ, do what you're told. Oh, we hate hearing that, don't we? It just grates against our pride. But look at what it says again in verses 9 and 10 of uh, chapter 15. If you keep, you shall abide. All right? If you keep my commandments, that's abiding in me. And the clincher is this, that Jesus abode in the Father by his obedience. That shows us how to do it. Jesus never asks us to do what he hasn't already done himself. He did it. That means we can do it. It's not mystical. It's concrete. It's not touchy-feely. It's what you do when you love Jesus. You abide in him. You keep his commandments. See, now, okay, we've, we, we've started in the middle and, and we've worked back. Now we're going to kind of come back to the middle and we're going to work forward. We're going to put it into perspective because all of this has benefit for us. God wants us to benefit from this. While it's all about God and while it's all for God, he does bless us with the consequences of our obedience, that being joy. He wants us to be joyful. It's, it's Jesus' joy, full joy, but only from doing, only from abiding, only from a love that results in obedience. Now, we'll get to abide, uh, defining fruit here in just a minute. But let's look at the connection here with, with love, love for Christ. Uh, chapter 15, look at verse 12. It says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, there's a condition, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my father, I have made known unto you. Now, this Jesus gives, gives a command. Love one another. Take care of one another. Sacrifice for one another. In verse 13, he expands and clarifies that definition. We find so much value and worth in the object of our love that we're willing to lay down our life for its benefit. Not necessarily die for them, but live for them. Right? Sacrifice for them. Put yourself out for them. Love your spouse, your children, your parents, your neighbors, your friends, your family for their benefit. Now in chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus is foreshadowing his own death here. In verse 14, he foreshadows what he expects from them. See, friendship with Jesus requires sacrifice. It requires a willingness uh, and, and, and a doing of the laying down of your life, of your rights, of your agenda. It's the laying down of your wants and your desires and your expectations. And again, what we have here is that second-class condition where we're not really sure of what the outcome is going to be. If you do what I say, you're my friends. Now, will they do it? Well, at this point, it remains unseen at the time that this was written or, or, or Jesus spoke this to them. It hadn't happened yet. Now we know that, that they did. All right. So, so we know that, that, that the favorable outcome actually occurred. But look at verse, uh, verse 15 of chapter 15. Jesus does, he does a beautiful thing here. 
It says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. All right, get that. He's called them friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. He raises the level of commitment in the relationship between himself and the disciples. They're no longer servants. They have become his friends. There is disclosure between friends. Okay, the servant has no business knowing what's going through the master's head. That's not his job. Uh, he's to do what he's told. The master can think whatever he wants. The master is not going to share his life and his secrets with the servant. But he will with friends. See, now they know what is to happen. It wasn't their business before because they were just servants. But now as friends, Jesus lifts them up and he shares with them knowledge they wouldn't have had before see one of the chief things we do if we love jesus is love one another now look at verse 16 Uh, we're going to define fruit now says ye have not chosen me but i have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye ask of, of, of the Father in my name, he may give it you. See, we, we have a purpose. We have a mission, all right, a reason to exist. One of the most hopeless states for a person to be in is, is, is to, con- to, to be convinced that there's no reason for them to be here. Right. One of the, you know, the three great philosophical questions are, where did I come from, why am I here, and where am I going after I die, right? Well, we all in various forms and ways seek to answer those questions. This is the answer to question number two, why am I here? Why are we as believers here? Well, the first part of verse 16 tells us that Jesus chose you and he gave you purpose. That purpose is to go out in life, put on the yoke of ministry, and bear fruit that remains. That's your job. That's that's the thing that Jesus has given you to do. It's then said again that he will give us what we ask. The context is concerning bearing fruit that remains. So you ask whatever you will in regards to bearing fruit, and he's going to give it to you because he wants you to bear fruit. He, 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 he knows, he's God, that God's not going to be glorified if you don't bear fruit. See, God wants this. God wants to be glorified. He as God is the only one who deserves to be glorified. What you need to do is bear fruit so that God is glorified. And the fruit we see is defined in verse 17. These things have I commanded you that ye love one another. The commands of Jesus when obeyed in love produce fruit. The fruit is the product of obedience to the commands of Jesus, which is right now, namely, most importantly here, loving one another, valuing each other to the point of self-sacrifice for each other as Jesus did. Loving obedience, that's the fruit. Loving obedience is the fruit. This brings us back to the beginning. The Father is glorified and and we are, are, are proper disciples in our continued and extensive loving obedience. Now let's kind of try to wrap all this together. 
the Father's glorified. That ought to be our chief motivation. The Father's glorified when we bear much fruit, when we are extensively and lovingly obedient to what Jesus has commanded. There's a connection between loving Jesus and obeying Jesus. Uh, if we love him, we will do what he commands. And there's, and there's no room for question. You either do or do not love Jesus. Uh, you are either obeying him or you're not obeying him. Okay? By doing his commands, we, we live out the truth taught to us by the Holy Spirit. We traffic in truth as we obey. Uh, the fourth one, in defining some, some, some of the key words, uh, you know, finding Jesus valuable, recognizing his value, demonstrating that we value him, is done by doing what he commands. When we do his commands, we abide in him. It's that simple. Jesus then solidifies that connection uh, between love and, and, and us doing by reminding us that, that you know, to love is to do. See, talk is cheap. Talk is valueless. To value is to sacrifice for the benefit of the object of our love. It's not, oh, I love Jesus. Do you come to church? Well, no. Oh, I love Jesus. Do you read God's word? Well, no. Oh, I love Jesus. Do you love God's people? Oh, no, I really don't. No, no, you, you don't love Jesus. Our final point was uh, the definition of this fruit, which is our loving, extreme, extensive obedience to Christ, which glorifies the Father, makes us good disciples, loving Jesus, abiding in Jesus, and bearing fruit. Glorification of the Father is our ultimate, ultimate desired goal. We glorify him when we bear fruit. We bear fruit when we abide in Christ. Abiding in Christ is doing the commands of Christ. Fruit is the product, the result of our obedience to Christ. Because throughout these portions of scripture, if you do, if you do, if you do, the Father is glorified by our continued extensive obedience, which is chiefly love for Jesus and love for each other. Abiding in Christ is doing what Christ says do. So now it becomes quite, quite simple. Are you abiding in Christ? Let's use this little simple test. Am I doing what Jesus has told me to do? Am I obeying the Lord? If so, then great. If not, then you need to. Do you love Jesus? Not do you have nice feelings about him, not, not you know, do, do you like the idea of a Jesus, but no, do you value him? Do you recognize his worth? Then we must abide in him. We must obey him. So you might be having a little trouble abiding in Christ, bearing fruit, loving, and doing. Are you, are you joyful in your obedience? Are you joyful because of your obedience? See, this is concrete, solid, measurable, predictable, doable. We can know black and white 
if we are abiding in Christ. We can know black and white if we're glorifying the Father. We can know black and white if we're bearing fruit. And if we're not abiding Christians, we can be by beginning to obey what Christ has said. You can begin right now bearing fruit. Most importantly, you can begin right now glorifying the Father by committing to demonstrating your love for Jesus by doing what he says. Look at chapter 14, verse 15 again. And with this, we are done. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, do what I have commanded you to do. Do you love Jesus? Are you doing what he has commanded? I'll leave you with that question. Stand if you would, with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, this morning, as we spend time in your word, we pray that you would search our hearts. Father, your Holy Spirit, uh, being our teacher and guide, would reveal to us areas that, that maybe we are not showing our love to our Savior. I pray, Father, that you would search us, try us, Reveal in us any way that is not consistent with your word. Lord, it is so easy for the words to roll off our tongues. Oh, how we love Jesus. And how easy it is to be inconsistent and not do what he commands. So, Father, I pray that uh, convict us of our sin. Expose it to us that that we may repent. Repent of the sin of loving ourselves more than loving Jesus. Repent of our disobedience to his commands so that we can truly abide, be one with, be connected to our Savior. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Keith, would you come?